I'm having a great time with the research. We go to work on new problems. Not a lot of people are holding you to deadlines like they used to, so that's been really hard for me. It was an adjustment to become a student again, but I have a feeling that the most challenging parts are yet to come. I've realized that I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a graduate student. You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and skills know-how to supplement your doctoral studies. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Ayub. And I'm Jenna Zajac. And you're listening to Vitamin PhD. So Maria, what have you been up to this past weekend? How's your, what have you been doing? Anything fun or exciting? Let's see. I think probably the most exciting thing that I have done is make lobster ravioli from scratch. Ooh. Yeah. There's actually, so I've been thinking about this since probably last year. I've wanted to do this for so long. Um, but there's this place in East Boston called Reno's Place. Mm-hmm. And I saw, like, I think Food Network, like, I think Guy Fieri, like, had a video at that place and they had, they were making lobster rav. And I was like, this is awesome. So I actually ended up going there just for the lobster rav and got really, oh, nice. like, emotionally attached to it. And I was like, we have to try making this at home. And we yeah. finally did. A year later, we were like, okay, today's the day. We're going to go get lobster. We're going to steam them. It's going to be a whole thing. And it took hours. Um, but it was it was so much fun it was so worth it we actually have one of those really old like pasta cranking machines like the metal ones oh yep Mm -hmm. um so we did the whole thing we just got a ravioli mold it was a whole whole process um very cool a lot of fun so yeah good times good times yeah yeah I I have to say I've never had lobster oh my god as long as I've been in Boston like everyone's like oh you at least have to go get like a lobster roll or something I've just never I've never had them I'm like iffy on seafood like I I, I, mm. I like it um it has to be seasoned very well or like fried which obviously isn't the best for you but <laughs> um but yeah I mean I, I might be able to do like a ravioli type thing you know it's very Would like you... subtle and in, in yeah. ravioli it's just very minimal you know okay do you like do a sauce or anything with it or what do you kind mm-hmm. of what do you do tomato cream sauce Ooh. and the key is shallots mm-hmm. Shallots are a game changer. Yeah. I I haven't really cooked with them before, but very, very exciting thing to use. Um, And also, if you're looking for prime seasoning for seafood, Old Bay. Old Bay? Old Bay. Have you never, have you had Old Bay? No. Oh my gosh. My Maryland soul is just aching right now. Old Bay (laughs) is like the thing that we put on Maryland crabs. Um, yeah. But it goes on all seafood, really, and it, it really is just such a game changer. It also goes really it, well on like, popcorn. So, is it a brand or is it like is that the seasoning? Is Old Bay like is that the oh, flavor? Like that's what it's called. Oh, like what is it? What's in it? Like what does it consist of, or what does it taste like? Is it a like a it's, salty type thing, or it's like savory? It's salty. There's okay. already salt in there, so don't add more to that. Gotcha. Um, okay. There's like I want to say, oh, that's is embarrassing. Do I know what's actually in it? It's like paprika and like some other stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, Just a good combination. It's a good combination, and it goes really, really well with seafood. It goes well on chicken too, honestly. Okay. Um, I like my stuff. spices. Yes, you should definitely, definitely try that. Um, all about the seasonings all right all right yes will do um (laughs) yeah I like your weekend is more exciting than mine I have not been really doing much I would say the only I've been going on a lot of walks the weather's been really nice so I've been trying to get outdoors more um 
I decided to kind of mix up my route and I'm kind of walking more in like the neighborhoods as compared to, you know, on the main strips. Um, but I've noticed um, it is fairly hilly back in these neighborhoods. I'm like, I think, mm. I, I don't think I ever decline. And I, you know, I told my mom on the phone when I was talking to her, I was like, I'm literally walking up Mount Everest. I'm like, <laughs> I am leaning forward. I'm like, if I, if I lean back at all, I might just not, I might, might fall down. Um, so I've been doing that. My legs are just so sore just from like walking. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Um, but I've been walking up. So summit Ave. So, uh, out in like Brookline, it's, it's really big hill. Um, and I didn't realize this, but at the top, there's this little like park and they have a playground and, uh, a bunch of like lawn chairs and everything. So I kind of want to check it out and you can basically, the trees kind of block right now. So I'm sure in like the winter or when the leaves start falling, you can see more, but you basically can see all of Boston, like the whole city, like it's up that high wow. that you can just see everything. It's a really pretty view. And I want to go up there and catch the sunrise at some point. Cause it's like, oh. it would rise like right over uh, the city and you could see it. So, uh, mm. I definitely recommend it's worth the climb. Um, <laughs> you know, and if you're looking to mix up your walking route at all. So I've been doing a lot of that, but yeah, you know, just, just wanting to get outdoor weather as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's been gorgeous out. And, um, you know, sunrises are one thing I've heard. Um, I always seem to be inside for some reason, but the sunsets the past week have been mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, yeah. People have people send me pictures and I'm like, I should probably be outside and not working right now. Um, yeah. Which I think, you know, kind of uh, eases us into our topic for today. Uh, on that note, do you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So today we will be talking about work-life balance and we have invited Nirali Shah to join the conversation. Nirali is a third year PhD student studying rehabilitation sciences as part of the Movement and Applied Imaging Lab at Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. Nirali, it is so great to have you here today. We are really, really excited to chat with you about this. And you know, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your research interests? Yeah, thank you, Maria and Jenna. Woohoo! <laughs> Such a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Um, so you guys already mentioned I'm in my third year. I'm doing a PhD program. Don't know how I landed up here, but hello, here I am. <laughs> um, so I have been involved in three projects so far, and that's mostly in the area of um, physical activity and knee osteoarthritis. And currently I'm giving my comprehensive exam, which, is basic, which basically looks at the intersection of mindfulness and uh, adults with POA who have chronic pain, but they don't respond to exercise. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's nice that you're involved in so many different projects and get you know so much, so much different experience in a lot of different areas. And you have a, a background in physical therapy as well, right? Oh yeah, I was uh, supposed to say that, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a background in physical therapy. I have my master's in musculoskeletal sciences and I have worked at a hospital in India for about three years um, before I joined the PhD program. So yeah, it has been a journey. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, best of luck, luck with your comps as well. Mm -hmm. um, oh God, totally knew it. Thank you. <laughs> and with that, I'm sure it's, you know, I haven't gotten to that point yet. So, but I'm sure at what I've heard, it's a lot of, uh, you know, work and 
just in general, besides comps, PhD programs are generally pretty vigorous, pretty time consuming. Um, you know, how do you tend to separate work from home with all of that going on? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Jenna. Um, for me, PhD has definitely not come easy. And to be really honest, in my life, work-life balance in the truest of sense doesn't exist. Um, so the best I can do is just remind myself that I'm a whole person separate from my PhD and that PhD is just a part of my life. Um, so the first two years in the program, I think you take that time to just orient yourself. Then what I did was I let the program consume me and I just tried to like be perfect in all aspects of my life. Um, but it is only now that I have started taking out time for myself. I've started developing a morning routine that I don't look at or think about work at all. So that gives me a holistic view of my life. A PhD is just a part of it, you know. Um, other than that, I think that having friends in and out of academia really helps. For instance, I have like a two hour long chat with my girlfriends from the program and that's like once in a few weeks. And we just get a chance to like, you know, calibrate ourselves, discuss things. And that fosters a sense of sisterhood where we're going in the program together and you don't feel as alone. And having friends outside of academia is again along the same lines of just knowing that there's a world out there and you're not alone and that you're actively engaging in a life outside of academia. Mm, yeah, I, I love the idea of kind of staying rooted in that like holistic perspective. And I'm definitely agreed that it's crucial to have friends both in and out of academia. Um, and if they're in academia, you know, to also have friends that are outside of your discipline too has been really helpful for me. And I think, um, you know, I'd also say personally that like physically separating work from home is also really important. Like developing a routine is one thing, but also, you know, maybe picking a day out of the weekend to do no work at all, or like a certain time on weeknights to end your work, um, or a certain time in the mornings to start your work and not even think about it until then, that's really great. Um, or like, you know, if it's possible to have a workspace outside of your bedroom, that's helpful. But you know, in the times of COVID, that's uh, maybe not possible. Uh, but generally, like, I think it kind of draws back to developing this healthy relationship with you and your work, which requires, you know, taking care of yourself in the process. Yeah, that's wonderfully said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, obviously, uh, part of that work-life balance is taking care of yourself and kind of finding, um, like, that inner, that inner peace to some degree. And um, I'm actually wondering what some sort of self-care activities you engage in, or maybe some general recommendations that you might have for other people. Um, so I definitely think that different things work for different people. For me, what has worked is just like having a routine um, and listening to what my body wants. Um, so, but you know, even, even although I do say that, for, I think that consistency has always been a challenge, mm -hmm. especially on days when I have a deadline, right? So I try to finish as much as work as I can in the night so that I can have the morning to myself and that I can actually have a morning routine. And before going to bed, I think about what excites me most about my routine. So, for example, running in the wee hours of morning, looking at the trees, meditating, uh, drinking my morning beverage, reading a few pages of my novel. So I think about aspects of that that brings me joy. So in the morning, I wake up and I want to do it. And then I listen to my body. And even though I have a deadline, I make it a point that I do some of it. Uh, but of course, 
realistically speaking, there are days that when I'm so tense about my deadlines that I just have to give it all up and I get up and I start working immediately. And although this has been hard for me to be like, you know, to cut myself some slack, I think it's important to also tell ourselves that it's okay if you can't do things for yourself. And as long as you're doing your self-care routine most days of the week, it's okay. Uh, but like also it's very important to try and be consistent. It's all about finding a balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. And just both the idea of having like a routine and consistency, but also being really kind to yourself when sometimes you can't maintain yeah. that. Um, you know, I know for me, I'm similar in the way of, you know, having that morning routine of getting up and, uh, you know, I love drinking my coffee and kind of waking up and then, you know, working out and that really, you know, starts my day. And I feel like if I skip that one, I feel guilty for not working out. And then two, you know, it's, that's what wakes me up in the morning too and gets me going. Um, yeah. But there, you know, there are days where if I have either a lot to do that day or was, had a ton of work the day before, or just had been working out really hard or whatever it is, and my body's just run down and exhausted. You have to, like you mentioned, listening to your body and just really, um, you know, like understanding those internal cues of, you know, maybe I need more of this, or maybe I need, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't do this today or something like that. Um, but I think having those, those self-care routines, at least, um, that a majority of the time yeah. staying consistent with of some way. And that you said, you know, that brings you joy and that you look forward to can help you mm-hmm. um, get through either some difficult times or if you have a stressful day ahead of at least it's something during that day that you know you have set in your schedule and you're like, this is my me time. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, what you mentioned and everything you do. Um, and along with that, you know, sometimes it's, we all try to develop these things like in the program and figure out what works for us. And sometimes developing those things can be super stressful in the moment as well. Um, so what are some things about work-life balance that you wish you knew maybe before beginning the PhD program that you'd want to share with other people? Yeah. Um, you know, I do want to talk about, maybe I'll answer your question first. I mean, this is something that popped into my head that I'd really like to talk about. Yeah. Um, so you asked if, there's something that I wish I knew. Um, so my best friend from home, um, she told me that you don't want to finish your PhD and look at yourself and be in a complete physical and mental disaster. You want to complete your PhD and also be a better and a stronger person. It is only a degree. So know why you're here and what you want from the program and just stick to that. And that has helped me a lot. Um, in the beginning, I was like all about like, you know, being a go-getter. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do my best. Um, but in reality, there are a lot of mental challenges that you go through in your PhD, like starting from imposter syndrome to isolation, to not feeling cared for, to being over-exhausted all the time, and never really having a real vacation. You know, you can push yourself to like one year, maybe tops two years, but having this attitude for five years becomes really exhausting, especially when you're dealing with something so specific and narrow focus with your PhD. Um, so, so before I joined the program, I knew that PhD was going to be a challenge, right? But you never really know how you're going to react to a challenge until you're faced with it. So no matter how much you prepare, you still have to go through all the mental challenges and then find your own sweet spot where you are a whole person again. 
Um, but if I could tell something to my younger self, I would say find the right therapist for you. And like, you know how they say that finding a therapist is like dating. So it's going to be a challenge. Um, also, this one has been a big one. Um, it's about learning how to deal with rejections. It hurts when you have given your heart and soul into something and then at the last minute it's rejected and you have to start all over again. I think at that point it is important to remember that it's your work that needs improvement and it's not you personally who are being rejected. And um, I got this from a book actually, but like at any point where I find it hard to accept something or find it hard to to like, you know, even accept certain thoughts of mine, I always think, is this a fact or is this an opinion? So if my paper was rejected, for instance, like, is it like, because like, is it the work that like, it's it more, more often than not, objectively speaking, it is something that you actually, your work actually lacks. And like, just having that perspective helps. Um, and I think also, like, you know, before joining a school, looking into how much your school values students' welfare and life, personal life, I think that's important because um, you don't want a school that shows you the door the minute you hit a roadblock in your PhD journey, right? You want a school that helps you find what's best for you. And along the same lines, it is very important to be open about your needs with your mentors. I was, I was really surprised. I, I, I was like my paper, one of my papers, if they got rejected at the last minute, I had to work on it all over again. And that really hit me mentally. And I just wanted a break from everything. And I was, I, it took me, it took some courage for me to like talk to my mentor about it. But I was so surprised at how supportive they really are, you know, like my mentor and even the entire faculty at Sargent is so accommodating when it comes to your personal welfare and your mental health. And, and they were like, you know, take the break you need, you know, take a week, take more. Um, you really, it seems like it's, it's important. And so talking about it really helps. Like you might think that you're the only one going through it, but in reality, everyone is, but they've just, everyone's, you're only seeing the outside of the box, right? You don't really know what's inside. So you might think that everyone's doing really well, but just talking about it can really help also. Those are some really, really great points, Nirali. I mean, I personally can't emphasize how important it is to seek therapy, especially when those resources are available and to be patient right. and find the right fit for you. Um, like you said, it's like dating, like shop around, see who you yeah. really feel comfortable with. That's really mm -hmm. important. Can be such a game changer, especially when it comes to things like managing things like rejection, which I, I still don't know how to deal with in academia. That is really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and part of the job, you know, like we're going to have to do this forever. True. Um, so that's definitely a tough one. Um, but, you know, communicating with your mentor and your faculty about things like this is also crucial. You know, it's, it's um, really, it really opens up a lot of doors the more open that you become about trying to find your work-life balance and balancing mental health and things like that. Um, yeah. You, you don't know where support is until you start opening up a little bit and then it just kind of overflows. Like you, you don't even know it's there until you um, try to make those connections with people. So. Yeah. I was just thinking about like all these things that we're talking about and these are not, I mean, the, the point is, you know, our story, it's nothing new. There's so many people who go through it and, and we, I'm sure we all heard about this even before the PhD program, right? Like you need to take care of yourself. You need to have routine and this and that. And it just like sounded like empty words, 
but when you're actually going through it like even though you've heard about this so many times you have to come to your own realization that wait no this actually makes sense mm-hmm. you have to do this so you have to be lost you have to fall down in order to rise again otherwise it's just empty words and advice mm-hmm. so even if even if like we're discussing this I'm, i just wanted to like just emphasize about how individualistic this journey is and how different mm. things might work for different people um but this is so great i'm so glad that you guys are doing this and you're going to help so many phd students out there um so thank you so much for doing this yeah no that that really means a lot and we've loved having you on here and it was just really great to talk to you and we appreciate your insight and just you taking the time to be here with us and we really think and hope that some of what you've shared will help you know grad students in boston and beyond um who are struggling with their sense of work life balance as well if you'd like to hear more about nerali's journey through grad school and her advice on self care and work life balance be sure to follow her on twitter at nerali shah and that's n i r a l i i s h a h You can also follow us on Twitter at Maria J. Ayoub, and that's A-Y-O-U-B, and at Zajac underscore Jenna, and that's Z-A-J-A-C. And of course, you can follow the podcast at B-U Vitamin PhD. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and until next time, we'll leave you with some advice from Nerali. Set intentions for your week, both academic and personal, and strive towards maintaining a routine. But be kind to yourself if you veer off course. Make sure to tune in for our next episode on grad school success. Thanks for joining us on Vitamin PhD.